Jesus was a man, was a baby, born in Bethlehem. He grew up in a different town, the town of Nazareth in Galilee. He became a prophet, and he had some disciples. These are facts that are generally not disputed. These are things that are generally known. But there is something more about Jesus. I think we have to go further in investigating who he is and what he did. The New Testament declares that he is Lord. Amen? Today, however, there are many ideas about Christ, about Jesus of Nazareth specifically, who he was, what he did, and so on. Some have, there's all kinds of different theories, different ideas about it. Uh, this is, I think, the, the person of Christ, the identity of Christ, who he is, where he came from, what he did, what he accomplished. That basic question of who Jesus is, I believe is the most profound question that there is. And because I believe that, I was impressed upon by the Holy Spirit to write a book on the subject uh, a few, few years ago. Actually, it's been eight years ago. 2010, I released a book on the subject uh, called Who is Jesus? The Central Issue of Time and Space. And in the book, I make the case that it is the most important question that can be asked, that has been asked. It has been asked. Who is Jesus? And I believe every single person has to answer the question. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus himself asks the question. Jesus asks his disciples, he starts off with another question. He says, who do men say that I am? And they answered him by telling him that some say that you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And then Jesus looked at the disciples and he said it this way. He said, but who do you say that I am? And it was then that Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus told Peter that he was blessed because flesh and blood had not revealed this to him, but it was revealed to him. It was revealed to him by the heavenly father. Why did Jesus come into the world? When you look at it, the question of who he is, you look at why he came, you look at a, a series of questions. When you get down to the crux of the question of why he came, and you look at the New Testament presentation of Christ, you can't come away with this answer, that he came to, to provide salvation. He, he came to bring a great deliverance to the people of the earth. He came to be a great deliverer and to bring a great deliverance. But, well, let me back up. It's a great, he's a great deliverer and he's a great deliverance. But somehow it's missed by some people. And the point is this, that it has to be revealed to you. This, these concepts, these ideas, this idea of Jesus' identity, this idea of his, uh, what he's done for you, it has to be revealed to you. Just like Jesus told Peter, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. This was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. It was revealed to you by the Father in heaven. So from the words of Christ and throughout the scriptures, we can see that these great truths have to be revealed to us by the Father. So how does God do this? God does this in many ways. 
He can do it all on his own. And he uses you and I. He, he calls on us to go into the world and proclaim the gospel and, and preach the gospel to every creature. But it is ultimately God who reveals who Jesus is to people. And when he re- is revealed to an individual, salvation, deliverance comes to that person. Here in Genesis 45, Joseph finally reveals himself to his brothers. He has been testing them and finding out if they were repentant for what they had done to him. Remember, they had, they had sold him into slavery. They had sold him to the Bedouin travelers, and eventually he ended up with Potiphar. He ended up being framed uh, in Potiphar's house, spent many years in prison, and now he's been elevated exalted to the second in command of all of Egypt, and he has been testing, really, and trying his brothers through this process of them coming for grain and and them coming back again and him putting their silver back in their sacks and even his silver cup into his brother Benjamin's sack. And he wants to, eventually he's going to reveal himself to them, and we've come to that chapter tonight. And it's just, it's not just the, the revelation of who he is. It's not just the revelation that, hey, I'm Joseph. I'm your brother. It's, this has all happened so that I could bring a great deliverance to you. So that I could be the one that would sustain you alive upon the earth during this great famine. So we're going to look at this tonight. The identity revealed the deliverer revealed. So let's pick it, pick it up. Genesis chapter 45. Let's pick it up. Verse 1. It says this. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out. Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud. And the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near. And then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. The deliverer is revealed. You can back off the gain on the mic. There's just a slight tinge to it. Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. With a burst of emotion, Joseph, he cries out. He says, everybody, leave me. Leave us alone, and he's going to reveal himself to his brothers. He he wept aloud. The emotion just just breaks forth from from Joseph. It it breaks forth. He he weeps aloud. 
And, you know, I love this about Joseph that, you know, when you picture this moment, if you, if you read this story and you picture this moment in your mind, you do, you do picture the emotion, the raw emotion of him not being able to contain, not being able to be silent in terms of who he was anymore. That the emotion breaks forth and now he's going to reveal himself to you. And I love that about Joseph because, um, and we like that generally about characters, whether it's a book, whether it's a movie, um, or whatever it is, there's something where emotion, when someone um, reveals that raw emotion that you can connect to. And you know, Jesus was no different in his connection with us as well, because we see that uh, in Jesus' life. We see him weeping at the tomb of Lazarus. We see him weeping over the city of Jerusalem and, um, and just that type of emotion that he shared with those that, that were with him. And, and so Joseph does this. And he, he begins to just reveal himself to the brothers. He says, I'm Joseph. Let's look at it again. He says, um, he says I'm Joseph. Does my father still live? I find it interesting. This is, it, it, it's, I'm Joseph and his dad alive. You know, is, is, is dad still living? And he, and he wants to know. And, 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 you know, you can only imagine, you know, we've looked at the chronology of this and just the many years that has brought the brothers and brought Joseph to this point. Um, and, and can you even imagine what, what must have been felt? I'm Joseph. Does my father still live? But the brothers could not answer him. They were dismayed in his presence. Um, they could not answer him. They were dismayed. I mean, literally, they were stunned. They were just, you know, I mean, of course, we've, we've known from the text that he's been speaking to them through an interpreter. He's been speaking to them. Um, and, and, and now they're just completely stunned. They, I, they, I don't know. They knew what to do with the situation. You know, they're just literally like, you know, I don't even know what to do. And so then what does he says? He, he says to them, please come near to me. So they came near. And he says, I'm Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, this is what the Lord does when he's going to reveal himself to a, a particular person, to an individual. There, there is that invitation to draw near. Maybe there's a presentation of the gospel. There's a presentation of Christ. There's a pre presentation of perhaps the death, burial, resurrection of Christ, the power of it, the plan of salvation. And then there's maybe dismay. There's maybe stunned. There's maybe perhaps even offense. We've even saw that this week as there were those offended at Greg Laurie's Bible as his posters were up in this mall in California. Perhaps it was even uh, offense. But then there's through the fog of all that dismay and all of that, I think there's the still small voice that comes to that person and they have that opportunity to respond to it and it's simply this, come near to me. Come near to me because he so desperately wants to reveal himself to each and every person. And so they came near to Joseph. He says, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourself because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. This is the incredible testimony of Joseph that he's able to say this 
to his brothers. Don't be angry. Don't be grieved that you did this. I mean, he is literally, he's, he is, he's wanting, he's forgiving them. He's offering them forgiveness because it was God, it was, it was God who sent him ahead. It was God who sent him. God used the situation for not only Joseph's good, but for the good of, of their entire family. Um, you know, and, and it, it, it kind of makes you think of that passage in Romans chapter 8 where Paul says God is working in all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And sometimes you might think that there's something, um, you know, difficult. There, there might be a trial. There might be a test. There might be something that's just full-blown. It just seems like how in the world can there be anything positive of this situation? And yet God is working in every circumstance for your good. He's working. He's working. And we have to, that's something I believe as a Christian, you have to kind of wrap, you have to, you have to chew on that one. You have to digest that one. That one needs to become a part of you, who you are as a believer. Do you believe because ultimately we're in the center, we're in the palm of his hand and whether he sustains our life here on this side of of eternity or whether he takes us on into eternity either way either way no matter what god does he is perfectly working in everything for the good of those who are called according to his purpose those who love him and are called according to his purpose so we need to understand that and so joseph declares that it was god who sent him to egypt for the divine purpose of preserving the people of god and saving their lives God's purpose was to deliver them. And in the same way that Joseph was sent by God to Egypt, Jesus was sent by the Father to the earth to preserve the people of God, to bring about a great deliverance, to bring, to bring about the, the possibility of life for all those who would call on his name. Just as Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. Jesus was killed by his brothers. You think, you say, how's that? Well, yeah, it was, well, there's an answer to the question, who killed Jesus? Who did it? Well, there's an answer in, um, well, there's a couple places where you can find that answer. Galatians is one, but there's another place in Acts. It's actually in a prayer of the apostles where he says, look, Pilate and Herod and the Jews and the Gentiles were all gathered together to bring about what your hand had determined beforehand should happen. So there's really, you know, who, who killed Jesus? It was something that God the Father had determined beforehand should happen, but the, all those people were involved. And so who was that? It was ruler of the Gentiles, ruler of the Jews, the Jews and the Gentiles, which is to say... Everybody, <laughs> We're all at fault in bringing about the death of Christ because it was our sin that brought that about. So Jesus, in that sense, was killed by his brothers. God sent him to deliver us from our sins and sure death. And Jesus reveals himself to us. He wants to reveal this, this reality to every single person. Uh, he, wants to re, he wants to reveal uh, that he's the, the savior, that he's the great deliverer, that he can do something about your situation. 
hopefully we've learned the last couple of weeks, we, we learned how there had to be this process through the work of the Spirit of being convinced of your needing a Savior, you're needing a Deliverer. And so hopefully there's the work of the Spirit in advance of now the revelation by the Father. So that combination is what brings a person literally to the doorstep of salvation and deliverance. The true believer knows in his heart the identity, the true identity of Jesus. The, the true believer. Why? Because, because Jesus has been revealed to you. Jesus has been revealed to you. You know that he's God's son. You know that he's Yahweh God. He's the second person of the Trinity who put on flesh, came into this earth to save you, to taste death, to experience death, so that you could be saved, so that you could be delivered. In the same way that Joseph was revealed to his brothers who had, who had well, they thought they had killed him. <laughs> they didn't. They had, um, they, they, they sold him into, into slavery, but for all they knew, he was dead. Um, that Jesus will be revealed in the future to every single person. The Jews who, according to Paul, now live with kind of a, a veil over their eyes, even when they read the Old Testament. They read the Old Testament, even the Orthodox. They read it, with a veil over their eyes. I mean, I'm praying for Ben Shapiro and Dennis Prager. <laughs> you know, these guys who, I mean, Dennis Prager, who has written a commentary, like this wisdom commentary. He's writing a commentary through the Torah. And, and, and I'm believing at some point his eyeballs are going to, his spiritual eyes are going to come wide open. And wow, that's going to be something to behold. But at, at, at a point in time, at some point in time, Jesus will be revealed to every single person. The prayer is that he's revealed, you know, honestly, before it's too late. <laughs> um, so... This is, this is the key. Now, the one whom the, 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 the brothers, the Jews, rejected, they, they, they continue to reject him. They don't, for whatever reason, they, there's various arguments as to why Jesus does not fill, fulfill the messianic profile, right? So they reject Jesus. Um, he, he's not the Messiah. Um, the Messiah is yet to come, or the Messiah is some type of a... Uh, some other thing, you know, that, that's, that's, that's going to happen. So they didn't, they, they, they have not accepted him. Um, but he will be revealed. He will be revealed as the deliverer. And that veil will be lifted. Now, Joseph t tells the brothers, he tells them that he's been made ruler in Egypt. And he tried, he tried to tell them Years before. Now, can you imagine this moment? This is, a, this is an incredible thing to be able to tell your brothers. I am ruler in Egypt. I'm in charge of Pharaoh's house. Pharaoh of Egypt trusts me with everything, including the entire nation. And, you know, he doesn't get into the flesh here. But, you know, you can read that into this scenario where he would say, you know, hey, guys, I just want to remind you of a 
couple of dreams that I had, you know, back in the day, you know. Um, but he, 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 he didn't. And in that sense, the Jews of today are perhaps like the, the brothers of Joseph back in the day when he had the dreams. That they're, they're not just in that place to hear it. They're not in that place to understand who Joseph was going to be. They're not in that place to understand who Jesus is, that he is the Messiah. So the one whom they rejected all those years earlier was the one who was now saving them. He was the one that was supplying them grain. He was the one that was going to, in this chapter, we're going to see where he gives them a place to live, where he sustains them because of the place that he had been elevated to. But I want to remind you of the verse. I want to take you back to that moment in time when they did not believe him and they wanted to kill him. They contemplated killing him. In Genesis 37, verse 20, you'll see it on the screen. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit, and we shall say some wild beast has devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. And, you know, there are those, some people have this reaction when they first hear about Jesus. They don't want anything to, to do with him. Just get, get that out of my face. Get that away from me. I don't, I'm not into the church thing, the Jesus thing. And you have that reaction by some. They, they want nothing to do, the, do with them. But Jesus will keep pursuing every single person. He's, he's, remember I talked about how he's the hound of heaven. He's on your trail. He's, on, he's tracking you down. And he wants, he wants to draw you to himself. He wants that message to penetrate. He wants the work of his spirit to, 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 to be accomplished in your life. But then you, there, is this, there is that moment that you have to hear the call and you have to hear him say, come near. Come near to, to have that re revelation uh, and, and that, that, that moment where, you know, kind of the light bulb goes on and, and you really understand who Jesus is. And, uh, and, and, and Jesus does the same for us. He reveals himself to us and then he saves us. Then he becomes our ruler and our Lord. Now, at, at a certain point in time, everybody will ultimately acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? And this is what Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, Verse, verses 9 through 11, I'll have it up on the screen for you. He says, therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so what is Paul saying? Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. This will, this will be fully revealed to every single person. And it's just a matter really of when, what, what, what time frame. Everyone will eventually realize that he's Lord. The key is to, to have the work of the Spirit be accomplished in our lives now, today, this side of eternity, that we can acknowledge him, that we can believe and receive and receive the great deliverance secondly tonight the good is promised 
the, the, the deliverer is revealed. Secondly, the good is promised. Let's pick it up. Verse 9 of Genesis 45. He says, hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son, Joseph, God has made me Lord of all of Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry and you shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near to me, you and your children and your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that you have. Therefore, I will, I will provide for you lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty for there are still five years of famine. And behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. So, you. so you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and all that you have seen. And you shall hurry and bring my father down here. And then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all of his brothers and wept over them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. Now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brothers have come. So it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your animals and depart, go to the land of Canaan, bring your father and your household and come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you will eat of the fat of the land. And now you are commanded to do this. Take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives, and bring your father and come. And do not be concerned about your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. So the good is promised. The, when the identity of the deliverer is revealed and salvation is realized and that deliverance is, is experienced, the next thing is realizing that the good that, that is promised to you as a child of God, as a person who's a member of the kingdom. Joseph asked his brothers to hurry home and get their father and bring him down to Egypt. He tells them that they will live in the land of Goshen, that they will dwell in the, in, in the pasture land of Goshen. Goshen was a pasture land that was perfect for shepherding and livestock. Of course, his people were shepherds. They had livestock, and God was giving them the lands that they needed. And there are some of the commentators that I read that actually connected this to this, this idea of like almost kind of, of an Edenic scene, like a, you know, bringing them to that, you know, that Eden, if you will, where they were going to have everything that they needed. And it's the same for us. When the identity of Jesus is revealed to us, we, all the promises of, of the Lord are what? Yes and amen. That we, we have all those good things that he's, that, 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 that I have not come um, to condemn the world, but I've come to save the world. I've come to give you life and life to the full more abundantly I, I, that, that he wants to give. And all those things are there for you. And, and Joseph was going to provide for them. And God is going to provide for us. And we have to realize that. Jesus even talked about the birds and the flowers being taken care of. In the Sermon on the Mount, he, he talked to us and he talked about not worrying. You know, this, this world is, is a place where if you live in it, you can worry. <laughs> right? I mean, if you live in it and you read, the, you know, just open up your whatever, whatever news site that you go to to read the headlines, just read a few of them. And you can start to worry, you know, because the market is always, we're always just this close from it tanking, 
There's somebody predicting it, right? And this and that, and oil prices shooting up, and all of it. And so worry, 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 worry. And Jesus says to his people, the people that have come into his family, the people that are part of his kingdom, the people that have a passport stamped for heaven. He says, don't worry. Don't worry about tomorrow. Because I look, at the, look at the birds. They don't worry. And look at the grass, how I've clothed it with flowers. And you've seen some of these pasture lands of, you know, I don't know. You look it up on Google, you know. I guess the Dutch. I don't know what it is with the Dutch, but they know how to, to grow the tulips, right? Have you seen these, have you seen these fields in, in the Netherlands where it's just all these, you know, just multitudes of, of uh, just, you know, I don't know, tulips. Look at that. Look at that field. Look at that colorful field. Look at how the grass of the field is taken care of. Christian, don't you worry. Because the best of everything is promised to you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to be your, your father, your deliverer, your salvation, your very life. And I'm going to sustain you. And I'm going to, to clothe you. I'm going to bring you all the necessities of life. Now, now we're, not to, we're not to confuse what the problem is. We confuse the list of our wants with the list of our needs, right? God's going to take care of us. You're not going to go hungry. You're not going to, to be unclothed. It doesn't mean that you're going to have, you know, the finest clothes or whatever, although God could bless you with that too. But you're going to be taken care of. So don't worry. Don't worry. And God, God wants us to, to real, re realize that the best of his kingdom is available to us. So Joseph wants his, his father to be brought down to Egypt to see him. And he tells, his, he tells his brothers, he says, go tell my father that I'm alive. And specifically in verse 13, he says, tell my father of all my glory. Tell my father. So this is the last person. Of course, there are other members. There's little ones in the family. There's the wives and the children and dad. Right? And so dad is kind of the representative of all those that, that are left that, that, that don't know, that aren't kind of on the inside of what's going on. So go tell dad that I'm alive. Go tell our father that I'm alive and tell him of my glory. And this speaks to me of, of us as Christians, that we have received the great deliverance of Christ. That the true identity of Jesus of Nazareth has been revealed to us. But there's still others who need to know. There's still others around us. Chris talked about it in, the, in the, the announcements about others moving in around us or others just in our family or so on and so forth. That they need to know. They need to know who Jesus is. And they need a deliverance. What should you do? Go tell them of the glory of, of God. Go tell them of the, the power of God. The power of God unto salvation. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The cross of Christ. Tell them what Jesus has done in your life. Tell them how you've seen him. Tell them how you know that he's alive and what he's done in your life. Tell him, tell them of all his glory. Of all his glory. 
And that's what we need to do. He, he has this moment, he weeps with his brothers, and I guess they have such a, a emotional time, a crying time, a, you know, just all of it. So much so that like everybody else hears and the, you know, the rooms down the hall, you know, everyone hears, Pharaoh hears, you know, the, the whole house. And Pharaoh offers the brothers the best of the land. They are offered the good of the land. And, and again, I wanted to bring out that there's, there's a, an illusion here, at least to, to many of the commentators of the, of the good of what God had created in, in the garden and that was given to Adam. And we're offered the good things of God in this great deliverance, that he's working in our lives, that he's providing, that he's directing. And I, you know, I want to remind myself of these things every day. I don't know if you do it, but I tell you right now, I remind myself of these things every day. When I don't even know what to pray, I say, God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for being with me. Thank you for protecting me. Thank you for leading and guiding me. Thank you for ordering my steps. Thank you for just working in my life every day. Wow, he's done an incredible thing. When you begin to rehearse all those things, some of those other thoughts that have made your day kind of turn sour will dissipate into into the background anyways when you begin to concentrate on all the good things that God has for you and all the good things that he's done. And I want what God has called good in his word. And I want all the the good that God has for me. And and when he brings it into my life, I want to give him thanks. And I want to declare that to him every single day. Well, let's wrap this up with our third and final point. Salvation of your family is possible. Verse 21, let's go back to Genesis 45. Then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them carts, according to the command of Pharaoh. And he gave them provisions for the journey. And he gave to all of them, to each man, changes of garments. But to Benjamin, he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. And he sent to his father these things, 10 donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and food for his father for the journey. So he sent his brothers away, and they departed. And he said to them, See that you do not become troubled along the way. And then they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of of Canaan to Jacob, their father. And they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still. Because he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. And then Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive, and I will go and see him before I die. So the salvation of your family is possible. The brothers headed back to Canaan to get their father, and they took all the carts and the provisions from Joseph and Pharaoh. Joseph gave his brothers elaborate provisions for the the journey. The language should communicate to you you the abundance of the provisions, all the changes of clothes, and specifically to Benjamin. I mean, he's he's really kind of blessing Benjamin. Um, Benjamin is kind of, you know... I think, you know, that picture of the Christian there, too, because we're, we're abundantly blessed of the Father. We're abundantly blessed of Christ. And Benjamin is son of my right hand. 
Um, that's what it means. Benjamin, son of my right hand. And, and he already at the meal, the prior meal, he had five times more than anyone else. And now he's got five changes of clothes, 300, 300 pieces of silver, and, and on and on and on. And there's just a tremendous uh, provision. So they get all the way down to, to see Jacob. And they, they bust into the door and they say, Jacob, Dad, Joseph is still alive. And what was his reaction? He, he, he said he was, his, his heart stood still. His, his, he was stunned. Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. There's, there's a theme in Scripture that deals with people's reaction to the Word of God and to what God is doing. And it is either that they believe upon it or they believe upon God or they trust in it or they do not believe it. It's, it's just really, there's no middle ground really when it comes to like, when, you, when, the, when the gospel comes, I mean, it's not like, uh, you know, I mean, if you're not believing in it, then you're not, then you're not believing in it. You're either believing in it or you're not believing. It's not just like, ah. And if you're still wrestling, you're still not believing. You're still in that place of dismay. You're still in that place of unbelief. And on this particular occasion, it's revealed to Jacob. Joseph is still alive. And his heart, uh, his heart stood still because he did not believe them. But look at verse 27. But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said them. And when he saw the carts, which Joseph had sent, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. So, Jacob's response falls in with, with many other examples in the scriptures of someone receiving the word of God and either believing it or not believing it. And he, he, his, his heart grew still or... Um, another translation, I don't know if you have another translation that you're reading for, from his heart grew numb, um, yet he did not believe. But when he heard the words of Joseph and saw all that, that had been sent to take them back to Egypt, the spirit of Jacob revived and he sent to go out with them. So God's word goes out to people. And that's what's important. Sometimes people do have that stillness of that heart, their numbness of their heart. And they don't believe. There's disbelief. There's no faith. But when people consider the words of Christ and the reliable record of his resurrection, faith can arise in their hearts. And I want to encourage you guys with this. When you're talking with people, sometimes we can get into discussions where we want someone to be saved. We want the gospel to be, to, for, them to, for them to receive it. And Sometimes you feel like you're saying all these things and you don't, you're, you're like, I'm not seeing the effect. And I want you to just ask yourself this, how much of what you're saying is really filled with the words of, of God? You know, let the, let the word of God bear upon people's hearts, you know, because the word of God is what's going to, going to penetrate uh, into people's hearts and lives because it's living and active and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's the, it's the word of God that penetrates. It's the word of God that cuts and lays, heart, lays bare a person's heart. And this is the problem with a lot of churches in recent years. Maybe not so much. Maybe there's, a, there's kind of a, a, a gravitation back towards the word of God. And I, I thank God for that. But there was a time recently in the church where, you know, you could go to 
churches where you wouldn't even see so much as a, a Bible or a scripture verse. And it's like, well, wait a second, what's this whole thing about? Well, we want people to be saved. Well, it's the word of God that they need to hear. It's the word of God that needs to, to be brought to bear upon their hearts. It's the word of God. When, 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 when the word of God and the gospel was presented on the day of Pentecost by Peter, they were cut to the heart. By what? The gospel of Jesus Christ, not fancy words. And, 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 and Paul, even, when he went to Athens and he tried to kind of, you know, do this whole thing, he went to Corinth. And when he writes his first letter to Corinth, the Corinthians, he said, I determined to know nothing among you but Christ and Christ crucified. Yes. Why? Because he knew that, 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 that no, matter, no, 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 no matter what, how eloquent that he could become in his speech and, and how clever and how wonderful that it was, he said, I determined, Corinth, that I would know nothing among you but Christ and Christ crucified. In other words, when I came to you, I had this singular message. Jesus died on the cross for you. He's the Lord of glory. And he was resurrected on the third day. And if you will receive and believe, you can be saved and have life in his name. And so, wow. Yeah, read the opening three, four chapters of the book of 1 Corinthians and get a sense of, of Paul and, and, and where he went with that. So I think we've got to be, you know, let the word, trust the word. Trust the power of the word. You don't know what to say? Guess what? God already said it, you know? When you hear something in a Bible study, when you hear a passage brought to life for you, bring it to life for someone else. Reteach it to someone else. That's what I've, 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 been, I've tried to say this for years. If you sit here and listen to this message, you need to find a portion of it that you can go speak to someone else immediately this week over the next seven days um, and bring it to bear upon their life because there's a lot of people still, believe it or not, I know there's a church on every corner, but believe it or not, and I run into people all the time, they're not sitting in those churches. <laughs> there's a lot of people in churches and lights and flashing and guitars and all kinds of stuff going on. Great. There's still a lot of people that need to know and have the word of God brought to bear upon their hearts. Amen? And let's just trust the word. Amen? Let's just trust the word, the power of the word. Um, and when, we, when they believe upon the word their hearts are going to be revived. When he trusted the word of God, when he trusted, when he heard the words of Joseph, when they rehearsed the words of Joseph to Jacob and saw all the stuff and saw the carts and saw everything, the text says his spirit was revived. He believed. And he said, okay, let's go. Let's go. And this is exactly what happens in the life of a person who is dead in their trespasses before Christ, believes upon Christ, and they are revived in the spirit. They come alive in Christ. Amen? And this is the way Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. We were dead in trespasses, but we, he made us alive. Amen? When... Jo Jacob heard the words of Joseph and saw the provisions. He was revived in, in his spirit within him. So let's close with this. Who is Jesus then? Who is Jesus? He's the second person of the Trinity. God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's the second person who took on flesh and came into this world and became a man he came to experience death as a substitute 
for us that we might live. And whoever calls on his name and believes him and receives him as Lord will be saved. And that's the simplicity of the gospel. But it must be revealed. It must be revealed to that person. And that's something that we can't do. We have a job. And that is simply to bring the message. To bring the message. It is the spirit who convicts, who convinces. It's the father who reveals. And it's the son who's believed and received on the salvation.